Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. On this question of generosity, I want you to tell the person next to you, um, what is the most generous thing that you've ever received? Like the most amazing gift, the most generous gift that you've ever received. You can tell the person next to you. If there are any husbands in the room, you know, your wife's sitting next to you, this is your moment. Just say, it's you, baby. It's always been you. You're, You're the best gift I've ever gotten. And the reason... I want to ask this question is because generosity is something that is extremely close to God's heart. It is extremely close to Him. When it comes to God, He's he's dripping and flowing, overflowing of this character of generosity. It is who He is. He's a person that is generous with who He is. And not just that, that we're invited into this generosity through an act, through a very special act that God did with His Son. That he offered up his son so that we could live generously as well. You see, if I think about it for a second, you know, if, 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 if I think about Adam and Eve, like if I was God, I would have just said, control, all delete, let's try again. Right? Like a lot of us do. Sometimes we have people that delete us out of our lives or, or maybe you've deleted people out of, their li- out of your lives because they just didn't make it. And here's the thing about Adam and Eve. In that moment, God doesn't control, all delete them. No. God restores them. He starts a restoration process that goes on for decades that will eventually start restoring the world forever. Why? Because God is generous. Because God loves. Because that is who He is. You see, and this is the beautiful picture of the gospel. God comes through the Jesus to come and restore who we are. But, but why? Why does He do it? Is it so that we could get to heaven one day? Sort of, yes, (laughs) but not just that, because the problem with that understanding, we spoke about it last week, the problem with that understanding, if it's just about heaven, then we're passive Christians. We just sit and wait for heaven to come, and that is not how God called us to live. God called us to be his hands and feet right now. He even, we'll speak about it next week more, but like we even praise about his disciples. He prays for his disciples and he says, God, please keep them in this world. Even though they're no longer of this world, keep them here because he's busy doing something great. He's busy making all things new and we're invited into that. Now in two weeks time, we're going to chat for the next three weeks, but the last week we'll be talking about having faith for our city. What does that look like? And, and next week we're talking about having faith for our neighbor. And I know as I said that you're thinking, yes, except that guy that lives behind me, that guy, he's loud. I don't have faith for him. I have some other things I'd like to give him. But how do we have faith for our neighbors? But before we get to those, I want to ask you, do you have faith for yourself? Do you have faith for yourself? Because this is a very big question we should all ask ourselves. And there's a story in the Bible, this lady, a Samaritan lady that Jesus meets at a well, right? And as I said that this morning, Dave even said it, well, well, well. (laughs) 
here he is at a well with this lady. And, and this is a weird story, right? So let me tell you a little bit about the story. So this woman goes to this well, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, midday, right, to go draw some water. First of all, first red light, that doesn't really happen in that time because it's the hottest time of the day. So all the ladies wouldn't work, walk together at that time. They used to walk in the mid-morning or like early morning and, and just before the evening, just before sunset. Why? Because it's the cooler part of the day. It's a bit safer and it's better for them to walk together as a group and they would gossip. So this would be, you know, their space, ladies. Um, they didn't have a royal roastery or, a, you know, kukala or something. They, they had the water, water well. And so they would walk in this water well together. But this lady went midday on her own. Why? Because she was actually excommunicated from society. She wasn't loved in society. Um, I mean, first of all, she was kind of looked down because she had multiple marriages. And not only that, at this moment, she was actually living with her boyfriend, which makes sense. I mean, if I was married five times and uh, I had someone else, I wouldn't get married again because I've probably lost my faith in marriage, right? And you could see this woman down and out in a really broken place. She's broken, she's alone, she's desperate. She's even so desperate that she starts having a conversation of faith and spirituality with a strange man sitting at the well. Jesus is sitting there and, and they start this conversation of faith. And, I'm, and I mean, this is how desperate she is. He's even just asking a stranger, what is the answer? Where do I find life? And in this conversation, Jesus starts revealing things to her. You see, she's looking for something because she feels empty. In this moment, Jesus starts telling her what can restore her. So Jesus says in John 4, he says this beautiful words. He says, and Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will thirst again. You will get thirsty again like any other water, like me right now. I just had a glass of water, but I'm, I'm thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give them, they will never thirst again. In fact, they won't just not thirst again, but the, if I, the water I give them will become a well of water springing up for eternal life. Not only that, you won't be thirsty again, but you'll be the one bringing life to the world around you. Oh, it sounds too good to be true. And so this lady says, well, give me this water so that I don't thirst again, that I never have to come and draw water here again. You see, she knew that she was actually craving something. And the thing that we're craving is not acceptance from a friend or family member. It's not better understanding of who we are maybe sometimes. It's not knowing like, you know, is my business going to succeed? Is it this thing? Is it that thing? No, I think the thing that we crave more than anything is Jesus himself. Because it's the only thing that can fully satisfy. It is the only thing that can fully satisfy. You see, each husband and boyfriend that she's had, all those things have left her hungry. Because when it comes to Jesus, he is the real water, the living water, the one that doesn't make you thirsty. The one that brings life. This water is Jesus. And he calls us to enjoy him and live in it. Why? Because he loves us. So I want to ask this. Is that when you realize that you've been drinking this water that leaves you thirsty again and again. But when it comes to Jesus as being the source in your life. How do you make that step for yourself? How do you have faith for yourself? Well, I think it starts with understanding who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus does in the story of the woman at the well. He reveals himself firstly in this picture as her living water, as we just spoke about. But what he also does is he reveals himself 
as her savior. As her savior. There's this, this key moment where he reveals himself as her savior, where he says in these few verses that pass where this woman admits, yes, she needs the water. And because she needs this water is because of what the longingness inside of her. And she admits that she doesn't have this water. Now, there's a funny moment for, in, for me in this story. Jesus usually does this, right? He asks questions to answer questions, or he like asks questions to not catch you out, but to make you think different, right? And so in this moment, he sees this lady and he says, oh, well, you know, you know, I just told you I'm living water, so quickly go call your husband for me. And then she goes, oh, no, I don't have a husband. And then he goes, yeah, that's true. You had five husbands, and now you've got a boyfriend, and you're living with him. And in this moment, you could experience that lady like, who told you? <laughs> How do you know? And it's not like Jesus is pointing out the brokenness to break her down. No, Jesus is, is pointing out the obvious. He's pointing out the brokenness and pain in her life. He, he zooms into the, this category of her pain. And he says, well, here's the thing. I have something better for you. I have something greater for you. So he explains, I know you have these five, boy, these five husbands that you've had and these, this boyfriend, but in this moment, he's saying, I have more for you. And, and he starts explaining that he has more. Because here's the thing, love is not just grace and love is not just truth. Grace is when love and truth work together. Well, what does that mean? Very simply put, when I love someone, I want to show them the truth, right? I want to help them. Right, and so if if uh, if we have, um, I'm looking after someone's kid over weekend, which me and Danal do so every now and then because we got baby fever, so it's just to get it out of our systems, right, or more out of her system, and then me every now and then. You know, it's that time when I go to her and I'm like, I saw this baby at Pig and Pay, and man, was it cute. Like it was a beautiful baby. Like you get some babies that, nah, like this one, this one. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I see people offended in the room. Probably your babies. But anyway, um, I'm joking. But I, I, I just imagine this, this moment of her understanding this picture of truth. You know, if, if we had a kid running around and I told him, listen, if you run around with that knife, you'll get hurt. So let's put down the knife. That's called truth, right? I'm not a buzzkill. It's truth. And if we just show grace, right, without truth, what we're actually doing is also hurting people. If I tell him, no, just run around. It's grace, guys. Grace. Grace. Do what you want to. Is that really loving someone? No. But sometimes we make it too much of truth and too much of grace. But the thing is they're actually made to work together. To work together. To call out. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's calling out the sin in her life. And saying these things have no space here. He's looking at them and saying this thing that you've been trying to find fulfillment in a man. It's not going to fill you forever. But it's in me that you'll find fulfillment. It is in me that you'll find the truth. He's giving a truth and grace, forgiveness, understanding. See, he doesn't shy away from telling her the truth of her brokenness. And he doesn't keep anything against her either. He starts bringing love into her life. And in this moment, and we can see this right after the story, because this is the moment that, that she, right after the story, we can see that she's been transformed by this, because then when she leaves, it's in this piece of scripture, it says, then leaving the water jar there, the water that she came to get because she's thirsty, she now ran. This woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. God, Jesus zooms into her brokenness. And for the first time, it's someone that zooms into her brokenness and doesn't just accuse, but zooms in and says, but I have an answer. 
I have something that you've been longing for. I have something that you've been thirsting for. And that is me. Me in your life. And why is this important? Because for the first time, this lady is running around saying, come and see a man who told me the worst things about me. Come and see a man who has told me and, and called out its sin by its name in my life. Come and see a man who has redeemed me, that has given me life and life in abundance. See, she was not worried about the opinion of people anymore. She ran into the town knowing where her stature is in society, but she did not care because she has experienced the Messiah, the life, the true God. And secondly, her brokenness wasn't the thing that defines her. It was the fact that God loved her. And this leads us to another thing that Jesus does, is that he reveals himself as her Messiah. Now, just a little interesting thing in this, in this conversation. They have a conversation a little bit about worship. And I'm going to read it to you. It's such a good thing. This lady replies to, the, to, the, to, to Jesus right after like, he calls her out. You know, you've got five husbands and you know, one boyfriend. And then, he sa- and then she says, ah, I see. You're the prophet. You're you know, one of those prophets. And, he, and she goes on to say that our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews say that they, the place of worship is now in Jerusalem. So if you didn't know, this is a place where there was a well that Jacob was blessed with, and this mountain became a space of worship. But then the, the space of worship moved to Jerusalem, and she's like, yeah, but you guys used to worship here. Now you're telling us to worship there. And it's, it's such a like, difficult thing because religion is kind of keeping us bounded to these walls, to these things. And Jesus starts bringing truth. He says, you Samaritans worship what you don't know, and you, we worship what we know, because there's salvation from the Jews. And he goes on to explain, there is our coming, and it is now here, where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. No longer in Samaria or Jerusalem. Can you imagine the plane tickets to Jerusalem <laughs> if we had to live a life like that? No, he says, in spirit and in truth, where you are, where you're seated, in your car, at your home, in your business space, at church, every single place is a place where we can worship God. Why? Because it's not bound to walls. It is bound to what we allow the Spirit to do, what we allow the Spirit to come and do in our lives, opening up to Him. Because he says, God is spirit, and those who worship must worship God in spirit and in truth. Then there's this moment where it kind of changes for the lady. The woman says to him, ah, yes, what you're saying is good. I know the Messiah is coming. I've learned about this, right? Um, who's called Christ, just by the way. You know, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And it's like, I can imagine Jesus sitting there like, <laughs> she doesn't know. <laughs> and he goes, uh, you know the one that is speaking with you? I am he. And I could imagine a jaw drop in a moment realizing this person that she's been waiting for her entire life was here standing in front of her, probably at the worst space in her life. And he doesn't ridicule her. He doesn't accuse her. He doesn't say, fix yourself. He doesn't look angry. All he does, he says, I have new water for you. I have something that will change your life forever. Why is this important? You see, it's in this moment that this lady knew that Jesus is her Messiah. He is her Savior. He is the person that she's been looking for. It's in this moment that she was given faith for herself. 
to now understand that it's in the words of Jesus that she lives, not in the words of people and her own opinion about herself even. But it's in that that she lives. And then, like the good disciples do, they rock up and then they destroy the whole moment. Right? Literally, they walk up, in, walk up into the conversation and she's like, I'm going to town to tell people what, everything I've seen. And then they're like, listen, what's up with this lady? And then they're like, Jesus, we've got some food for you. And then Jesus says the famous line, you know, I, I have food that you do not know of. And that is doing the will of my father. And then the disciples are like, wow, who gave you food? We went to go buy food. And so disciples, classic, missing it again. But... Why is this important? It's because there's something that happens in the life of this story. There's something that happens in this lady's life. Is that for the first time in her life, she experiences living water. Now, Ephesians 1 paints this picture of what it looks like when we actually start living, having faith for ourselves. Faith that we are being saved by Jesus, that we have been saved and are being made new. And there's a few things that it speaks of. The first thing it speaks of is moving from cursed to blessed. You see this lady rocking up thinking she is cursed because of what she's done and what she has to do and she needs to fix it. She needs to pay a price, whatever. And Jesus says to her, no, no, you're not cursed. You're blessed. Drink from this water. See, praise be to God, our Father, Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. See, this is when it becomes personal. Where I'm not cursed, but I'm richly blessed in Jesus. Maybe it's being disqualified, thinking that you're disqualified. And he says, the opposite of disqualified isn't qualified. The opposite of disqualified is chosen. Think about it. Think about every single guy in the Bible, pretty much. Every single one of them that God chose was pretty much disqualified. But what qualified them? Is it because they came, became better? Is it because they became stronger? No, it's because Jesus, because God chose them. My friends, God chose you and that's what qualifies you. It's him that loves you. And you know, in Ephesians 1.4, it says that. It says, we chose us in him before the foundation of this world. Before he said, let there be light. He thought of you sitting in Bloemfontein in this room at the 1030 service, knowing that you will know that you are chosen by him personally. What, does he, what else does he do? He does this. He moves us from guilty to redeemed. You see, this lady doesn't sit and feel guilty about her sin, so she needs to fix it. No. In a moment, Jesus shows her the truth, but then gives her grace and redeems her. She is redeemed by faith. She is redeemed through Jesus. And that's exactly what Christ does for us. He, re, he brings us redemption. And lastly, what does he do? He moves her from orphan to son. From orphan to son, where a place where she has nothing. She doesn't understand. She is lost. He says, well, here's a new space for you. Start living in a new way because you will have a new father in heaven that loves you. One that will look after you. One where you can actually inherit the kingdom of God. It says this in that piece in Ephesians, which is so good. It says, so also you were included in Christ heard this message of truth and the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who has the deposit of guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of Christ, because we are Christ's possession in Lord Jesus Christ. And why is this important? It's because of this, because of this redemption, because of this, we can now inherit the kingdom. We're not far away from God anymore, my friends. We are close. 
So this is all good news, right? You know the story of good news. Good news is only good news when it's good news, all right? If I told you I have a brand new car, that's not good news for you. That's just good news for me. But my question is, do you believe the good news is good news for you? Because that's where it starts. If you want to have faith for your neighbor and transform your community, it starts with you. If you want to have faith for a city, it starts with you. The question is, do you have faith that Christ loves you? So I want Dimitri to quickly help me. We've got a little thing to illustrate this. And this is really helpful because it's only until this moment that I think we'll really understand what he means when he says water that doesn't make us thirst. So there's this moment, I'm going to read it again, while Jesus meets this lady and he says to her, everyone who drinks from this water will thirst again. Now I've used ping pong balls because they illustrate a bunch of cool stuff. But there are things we fill our lives with, right? Many things. We fill our lives with our career and, and what we've learned and who we are. And, and maybe there's some bad things in our life, right? Uh, that speeding ticket that I didn't pay. Or, or that, that bad thing I did. Or yes, I stole that pencil in grade four. <laughs> I know some of you. Or, or yes, maybe it's all these bad things. And, and then you think, yes, but I'll go to church and I'll, and I'll like, like pray hard and I'll give money. And, and the, your life is not fixed, then you think, no, I'll just I'll sort some out. I sorted that one out. That one sorted out. Look at me. But are we full? Are we filled? Or are we left still wanting more? See, the more we try and fix ourselves, the more we miss it. It's because Jesus didn't say, stop drinking from this water. It'll make you thirsty. Drink, you know, that, and then make sure you take extra water. And he didn't give solutions to a little problem. He gave a whole new picture. He gave something brand new. He says to her, if you drink from this water, you will thirst again. The acceptance of people, of what you think of yourself sometimes. But he says, but if you drink of my water, you will never thirst. Because it will become a well that is springing over. And so as Christ starts filling us, as he starts moving in us, we begin to change. We begin to not need the things. We begin to see what really defines us. We begin to see truth. We start becoming an overflowing well in the world around us. Now I know what you're thinking. And I'm thinking it too. What about those three little... <laughs> Brain to illustration didn't work, but it did. Because here's the thing, does that mean the world will never accuse me of something? The enemy won't come and fight? Or I won't think better? No, it means those things are, are realities in our lives. But they're only on the surface. <laughs> they're no longer who we are. They are only on the surface. And even if someone comes to push them down, they'll end up where they deserve. <laughs> Not a part of who we are. See, this is what Jesus meant when he says that you'll never thirst ever again. Because when you are filled with me, my friend, <laughs> there's nothing more you need. In the week, I'll, I'll tell the story now, but, uh, sorry, Revelation 21, we, we preached about it. Last week, we shared it a little bit. And I want to share this to you really quickly. 
uh, as Jesus is seated on the throne, he says to the people, he says, look, I'm making everything new. What does it look like when we are made new in Christ? That's what it looks like. Something else defines me. Something else says who I am. Something else fills me where I'll never need anything ever again. I am full of him. And like he says, not just full, but overflowing, constantly going. I'm going to mess on this thing. I am full of him. He is generous with who he is. And he gave everything. Just a little bit in that piece of scripture a little bit later. It's actually so cool. It's like a full circle picture. Where Jesus started this picture at the well with Jacob. And now this lady at the well saying that I am the living water. Here in Revelation 21, as we read further in that piece of scripture, he says, he says these, write down these words because they are faithful and true. I am the omega and the, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It is done because of me. And he says this, I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of water of life. Again, he says, my friends, the time of being thirsty is done. And the time of quenching your thirst is right now. I want to end off with this little story. There's a guy um, in this week. He, he joined our church in the past two weeks. Um, in our evening service, and he's been sitting in one or two of the services, and he, he said he wanted to go to Alpha Course because he has questions about faith and questions about a lot of things. And he goes to Alpha Course the Wednesday night, and then the Wednesday night he's like, man, can we drink a coffee sometime? So I'm like, yes, definitely tomorrow. And we have a seat on that New Life Corner couch. Not as snug as you know, and Dirk are sitting right there. Yeah, a bit more space between us. But, but we're sitting on that couch, and we have a conversation. And man, this guy just keeps telling stuff. He keeps telling about his failures and all these things and all these things and all these things and asking, how do I fix this? How do I make it good? Like, I've, and he literally tells me, Brent, I've been praying for peace my entire life, but I can't find it. I've been trying to fix this thing. I asked him one question. I asked him, do you know that Jesus loves you? Sure. And in a moment, he, he keeps arguing. Right? He's like, no, yeah, but I know that, but like, I needed it. And I'll go, do you believe that Jesus loves you? That he would love you as a person. And in a moment, the well overflew in him. He started crying. And he's saying, it's like God's doing something in my heart. And I said, yes, my friend. <laughs> he's making you new. And for the first time in his life, he's been praying his entire life for peace. And he says, for the first time in his life, he experiences peace. Why? Because he is filled with who Jesus is. With his love. So friends, what does it look like when I have faith for myself? It's being filled with him and allowing him to overflow in your life. And that is how we have faith for the people around us. It's just the overflow of who Christ is in us to the world around us. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want us to pray. And uh, just maybe before we pray, if, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, Brent, I, I hear what you're saying, but I've never chosen this. I don't think God has... That love for me. I want to say God understands that. He understands that you're doubtful, but he also understands that he has deep love for you. And if you want to say today, I need this well to start overflowing in my life. I need the spirit of God to come and make this thing new to me. Don't you want to put up your hand and proclaim that you need Jesus? It's good. Amen. We're going to pray together and you can pray in your own words as well, but we're going to pray with you. 
And we're going to pray together that God will start overflowing these wells within us. And so, Jesus, we're, we're so excited for that guy that raised his hand. Lord Jesus, that we pray that there would be a new well that springs up within him. Something of love and truth that he experiences because of your love and your truth. That he will worship you in truth, Father God, and in spirit. And that today his life is made new in you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that wherever we've been plugging up our spring of life, wherever we've in our businesses, in our workspace, in our, in our families, in our relationships, in our personal way, we look at, it, at ourselves or look at the world around us, wherever we've been plugging this well of life, Lord, I pray that you will just, like the ping pongs have fallen out of this, this glass today, Father, I pray that you will just come and fill us more and unplug those things, unplug those spaces so that we would have life and life in abundance. We thank you so much for that, Father God, that you're the one that brings life. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.